invite you, if you've got a Bible, to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 4, where we read from earlier. If you haven't got a Bible, you may find one in the rack in front of you. If you'd rather listen, that's just fine. I, I, I love John's Gospel. If, any, you, if anybody ever speaks to me and says, you know, privately, well, I don't know much about Christianity. I don't know much about God. I've never thought about the Bible much before. Um, it's unlike any other book. In most books, we would start at the beginning and finish at the end. But uh, I would always say, and I would say to anybody in that position this morning, start in John's Gospel. I love John's Gospel. Go to John's Gospel first of all, because John's Gospel is all about encounters with Jesus, people whom Jesus met, people who met Jesus. And uh, there's such a contrast of characters. There's people like uh, the uh, lame man in chapter 5 of John. There's the blind man in chapter 9. In chapter 3, there's this man, Nicodemus, many of us know about him, who was a Pharisee. He, was, he got religion, but he didn't really know, well, he certainly didn't know Jesus at that stage. He came to know Jesus, but he had religion. You can have religion, as we'll touch on this morning, without knowing anything really about God. I haven't come to talk about religion this morning. I've come to talk about Jesus. And this man in chapter 3 was, if he was to walk in Waldringfield this morning, we'd say, Nicodemus, wow, what a great man. He was very moral. He was part of what was called the Sanhedrin. Um, 71 on the committee, the top committee of the Pharisees. You'd say, wow, what a good living man he is. I haven't come to tell you about him this morning, so I'd better move on quickly to chapter 4. The reason I tell you that because of the contrast in John's Gospel, because you only know to go to one more chapter from John 3, where Nicodemus is found, to John 4, where we have the woman of Samaria, who we read about this morning, and a very different lifestyle. You'll notice her lifestyle, well, she, she, was, uh, she was very different. Uh, you wouldn't say that she was a picture of morality. You'll know that... Uh, that Jesus knew her so well, and she'd had five husbands. She's now living with a, with a sixth man who's not her husband. And probably if she came into Waldenfield this morning, some of us, I hope we wouldn't, but some of us might go, oh, she's not a very good person. I've got news in case you're not sure. The Bible says there's nobody good enough for God. You may think you're moral. However, you might be the most moral person in Britain but you're still not good enough for God and heaven. And that's why we need to talk about Jesus this morning. You see, forgiveness, uh, salvation, is not about good people, it's about forgiven people. I, I want to tell you this morning about this, I put in inverted commas, this chance meeting, because I don't really believe in chance meetings. A lot of people talk, don't they, about fate and luck and well you know you meet people and I meet people I actually don't believe that anybody who I meet whether they're in Tesco's or anywhere else is by accident because I actually believe that God has a plan on my life and a plan on your life and there's no accident he knows everything nothing takes God by surprise of course not he knows everything there is to know and uh, I don't believe there's any chance meetings I, I want to Use quickly two very quick illustrations. One I've used twice before from this pulpit, so some of you will know it. But you see, I always love the way we get it in the Bible, we get it in as we look back, the way in which God brings people together. No accidents with Him. And some of you will know the story, so I'll be quite brief on this uh, about the, the man called uh, 
he's now in heaven. He's been in heaven about three years. Professor Terry Hamlin from Bournemouth. And I say, forgive me if you've heard this before, but, but he was an acclaimed man. He was a professor. He, he was in medical field. He was a top man. I say, he lived in Bournemouth. This is in the 1970s, 1980s that this happened. He, he'd written, he wrote over 30 papers in his, oh sorry, over 700 publications. Um, and he had such an influence, particularly in the line of cancer and leukemia. He was a top man. Uh, but you know, one day, he saw one of his patients by the name of Mr. Bates. And Mr. Bates was a Christian and a faithful Christian. He was a deacon at Lansdowne Road Baptist Church in Bournemouth. And Mr. Bates came in and, and obviously he, he needed help. He had cancer. And uh, Professor Terry Hamlin spoke to him. At, at the end of his time, Mr. Bates said, excuse me, Professor Hamlin, but are you a Christian? He said, no, no, I'm not, no. He said, well, can I just say this, that I go to a church, it's a, a thriving church, it's in Lansdowne Road in Bournemouth, we've got a preacher there, a pastor there called Francis Dixon, you'd be welcome any Sunday, and you know, I'd long that you come sometime. And Professor Ter Terry Hamlin was very polite, but he sort of dismissed it really, you know. Well, six months passed. He obviously went home and told his wife of this conversation because six months passed and Terry Hamlin became depressed. And one of the reasons he became depressed was because of his work, because there were so many people, sadly, who, who died. And uh, his wife said to him, Terry, why don't you go along to that church that your patient, Mr. Bates, told you about? You could go along to that church. You've got nothing to lose. Perhaps that would cheer you up a bit. And he agreed to go. He went on a Sunday, but he lost his way. And by the time he got there, it was too late to go in. He didn't want to go in late. And so he came back home again. So the next Sunday, his wife said, Terry, I'll come with you. We'll allow a little more time. We'll get there on time and we'll go together. First Sunday. Never been in the place. Well, you probably, if you've been to Lansdowne Road, as I have and some of you have, I mean, it's galleries that packed out with people, as it was then. And he went in with his wife and he sat there and Francis Dixon said, today I want to preach on John chapter 11 and verse 26, where it says... Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And Terry Hamlin thought, this is good news. I'm dealing with people who are dying. And here is a man in a pulpit saying, whoever believes shall live eternally. And God spoke to his heart. And Terry Hamlin became a Christian. And uh, at the end of the service... He not only spoke to Francis Dixon and became a Christian, but then he said, I want to find Mr. Bates, because he's a deacon here and I've been seeing him through work and I want to catch up with Mr. Bates. And Francis Dixon said, Mr. Bates died last Thursday.
The reason I preached on John 11 verse 26, I am the resurrection of the life, really, was because my mind was influenced because of Mr. Bates's death and I was really preaching, apart from other things, to comfort Mrs. Bates. See, you can sit here this morning and think, well, that was a stroke of luck, wasn't it? I don't believe that. See, I believe God takes people from over there and people from over there and people from over there and he draws us together. Last Sunday night, ever so quickly, I must move on, you'll never get out of here today. But, uh, you know, last Sunday night, if you were here, James mentioned it. Ever so interesting how God works in unusual ways, isn't it? We've never worked the way God works. But last Sunday afternoon, James mentioned it last Sunday night, last Sunday afternoon I had a, an email and it was from a fellow called Duncan McLean who lives in Inverness. He's got a hardware shop in Inverness. And uh, I say, forgive me again, those of you who, who uh, heard this last Sunday. But uh, he, he saw me the last two Sundays when I was in Tenerife. Norma, sorry, you're counting. Um, Norma counts every time I mention Tenerife, just in case you wonder about that joke. There's going to be several this morning, Norma. But uh, as a result, he'd been in Tenerife the last two Sundays. And uh, he spoke to me. And uh, we talked and everything else. And he said, I'd love to sort of keep a contact. I gave him, actually. People think I'm crazy going to Tenerife, taking leaflets, welcome to Aldringfield. They think, what is the matter with this man? But I take them, really, because I'm not expecting them to walk through the door, but they can look us up on the website. And so I, it saved me writing things down at the door when there's so many people to talk to. So I just gave him a leaflet. I said, Duncan, look us up on the website. Well, I didn't know until last Sunday. That was last November, of course. Last Sunday afternoon, I got a, an email from Duncan. And Duncan said, um, I just thought I'd like to encourage your heart because when I got home, the end of November, I, we looked up the website, encouragement to James, because he does it here for us. He put some, James had put some testimonies on there uh, called I Am Second. Some of you have read them, some of you have seen them, some of you have sometimes had them in church. And Duncan was so impressed that he talked to his pastor in Inverness who transferred the testimonies, stole them, whatever you like, but we stole them anyway, and he put them across on the website of the church in Scotland. Are you still with me? And uh, as a result, they were on that website. December, a new family started going to the church at Inverness. Mum, dad, three children. But last Sunday morning, the mum became a Christian. God spoke to her heart. And she said, the reason I ever came to know the Lord was through seeing the testimony on the website in Scotland of I Am Second, which originally came from Walringfield. See, if I hadn't have gone to Tenerife and met Duncan, if James hadn't have put I Am Second on the website, if he hadn't have stolen it and put it on, you, you see what I'm getting at, don't you? See, do you believe in chance meetings? Well, I don't. Listen, I must hurry on. There's one here in John 4. I don't believe there's a chance meeting at all. Because it says, Jesus, do you notice in verse 4, he needed to go through Samaria. Now, that's an unusual statement to start with because Jesus, in his earthly sense, for the 33 years he was on earth, was a Jew. And you'll notice, and we've already read about it, there was a hatred. It was a bit like Norwich and Ipswich supporters, you know. Uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, well, they hated each other. They absolutely hated each other. 
And it went back to history, Old Testament, we read all about it, when Israel was a complete nation, and then after three kings they divided, and Israel became the northern part, and Judah became the southern part, and you'll know that both sections were invaded by enemies. The southern group, Judah, were invaded by the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar. They were taken away for 70 years into exile, but they did later return. But the northern group, which were Israel, which remained Israel, they were attacked by the Assyrians, a very strong army. We read all about it in the Old Testament. And as a result, the Assyrians took them away, apart from a few, never to return. So the northern part disappeared, uh, as far as that group were concerned. Uh, but there were some who were left, just a few were left, they tended the land. But of course they intermarried with the invading Assyrians. So they became a group called the Samaritans. So there was a hatred from the southern group, of the, who classed themselves as proper Jews, to these Samaritans, they wouldn't speak to each other, they hated each other, they despised each other. And so as a result, if you were a Jew from Judah and you were going near Samaria, you wouldn't go into the city. You'd go, the, you'd go miles round. A bit like I do when I'm in a car when there's a queue. I'd rather drive for miles than sit in a queue. Well, they would go round Samaria rather than go through Samaria because they wouldn't speak to them. You would never accept, if you were Jew, you'd never accept a gift from a Samaritan. And, but it said Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And he goes, and he goes to a well, and of course the well was where the ladies came to draw water. And he goes, but there's all kinds of things. First of all, he starts to talk to a Samaritan, you'll notice. Well, you don't do that if you're a Jew, but Jesus did. You see, Jesus isn't PC. He started talking to a Samaritan. Secondly, he talked to a Samaritan woman. You wouldn't talk in public to a woman. You'll notice the response in verse 9. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it you, being a Jew, ask a drink, which was Jesus after a drink at the well, uh, from a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And the third thing is, of course, it was against the culture of the day, and I ought to just add quickly verse 27, when the disciples who'd gone away came back, you'll notice they were surprised, they marvelled when he talked with a woman. What's he doing talking to a woman? Samaritan woman at that. And the third thing is, he goes to the well at the sixth hour. Well, the sixth hour in our time is midday, 12 o'clock today. And it's boiling, baking hot. Nobody went to the well at that time. Nobody would have been there. Jesus was there. This woman was there. But all the women came out when the sun had gone out. It was too hot to go and get water in the middle of the day. Later on in the day or earlier in the day, but not at 12 o'clock midday. Then why was she there? Well, it's pretty certain that she was there because there were lots of ladies that despised her lifestyle. She was, she was immoral as far as they were concerned. Let me repeat what I said just now. I'm glad about this this morning. Salvation is not for good people because there aren't any in church this morning or outside, nor in the pulpit. <laughs> but for forgiven people. And then you go, and I must rush on, but you go through the chapter, we've read many of the verses, 
And you'll know that there's a conversation takes place between Jesus and this woman at the well. The disciples are still away. And you'll notice it's not small talk, you know, when, as I indicated with the children's talk this morning, you know, when you meet somebody, what you say, oh, not a bad day today, is it? Well, it's nothing like that. Did you notice? I mean, Jesus breaks the mold of small talk when you get to verse 10. He's just met this woman and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That's not exactly small talk, is it? You know, it's already into this conversation. And there's a mystery. This woman says, what is this man thinking about? He's talking about, I'm at a well. He, he's asked for a drink. Now he's talking about living water. And I'll never thirst again. And her mind, of course, is still, and probably yours and mine would be just the same. We'd be looking down the well thinking, what is he on? Of course we've got to come back and get some water and drink, but of course he's talking about spiritual water, not just the physical water. And he carries on in verses 13 and 14 and says to this woman, whoever drinks of the water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And she says, you think, well, she's got it now, Everlasting life. I want some everlasting life. And so she says in verse 15, give me this water. And you think, well, she's got it. But then she carries on and says that I may not have to come here to draw again. No, she hasn't quite got it. And the conversation continues. Jesus then does an unusual thing. <coughs> he leaves the theme of the water. and He says, go and fetch your husband. And she says, I haven't got one. And he says, you're right, you haven't got one, you've had five, now the man that you're living with is not your husband. And she says, how did you know that? You must be a prophet. She's now looking at this man who she's met at the well, who she has no idea who he is at this point, but she's now thinking, well, he must be somebody special, he's a prophet. And then she starts to talk about Jewish worship. Verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And she starts to talk about the Jewish style of worship. Very interesting, I've said this before, but very often when people introduce me to somebody, I've been introduced to people, you know, that, uh, or, uh, I've never met and so on, and, uh, and they say, oh, this is, this is Steve, he's the, the Baptist minister, one of the Baptist ministers at Waldringfield. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yeah, good to meet you. Uh -huh. I used to go to Sunday school 30 years ago, you know, and it's it sort of a, I, I better quickly spill out a bit of my religious background. <laughs> no, Jesus, I'm not interested in that. Jesus is not interested in religion, and nor am I. He comes to give us spiritual life, eternal life. And if you read verses, I quickly, 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Religion. We know what we worship for salvation is in the Jews. The hour is coming and now it's when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then she starts talking about well, actually, I've heard about the promised Messiah. And Jesus says, do you know what? You're talking to him. It's me.
this, this chance meeting around the well, Jacob's well in Samaria. Jesus needed to go that way. He knew exactly what was before him. And he meets this woman, and she's not a good person. But remember, salvation is not for good people, but for forgiven people. And she, through a work of God, recognizes exactly who Jesus is. Jesus says, I'm he. I'm the one, I'm the Christ. And you'll notice right at the end, where we, the last verse we read, he proclaims that he's the saviour of the world. You see, the interesting thing I find, one of them in the interesting things here is in verse 28, why did she go to the well in the first place? Well, she went to avoid all the other women <coughs> in the heat of the day at midday, and she took her water pot, but in verse 28 it says, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city to see the men. Two very interesting things. The whole reason she went to the well has become irrelevant. She's left the water pot because she's met Jesus. Her priorities already have changed. And secondly, she went to the well to avoid people, but now she's going to the city to tell people that she's met with Jesus. And you notice what she says in verse 29, come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Could this be the Christ? They went out of the city and came to him. And you know, I'm ever so thrilled to be able to say this this morning, that Jesus is still the saviour of the world. He comes to fix broken, messed up lives. That's why I'm in the pulpit this morning. We've got a society, <coughs> maybe many sincere people, who are trying to fix the problems of our society today. But have you noticed something that doesn't get any better? If anything, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Sincerely, the politicians stand up and say, we're going to change things. Vote for us, we're going to change things. But it doesn't seem to ever happen. And after a little while, we throw that lot out and get the other lot back or another lot in and say, come on, because they say, we're going to fix it this time. But they don't fix it. Do you know why they don't fix it? Because they're focused in the wrong places. Because they're trying to work out solutions with the human mind. And they've ignored the God of heaven who has the answers. You see, I'm ever so glad that God ever looked down on our sinful, sick, broken world and sent his only son, who came to be saviour, that I could know a relationship. I hadn't got, nor had you, when we were born, a relationship with God. That's why, humanly, we turn off from God. But God, by his spirit, through his word, through all kinds of means and plans, he met with Steve Winkle when he was nearly 17. He's met with many of us here this morning. There are no accidents with him, and we can know a renewed relationship with God. John Blanchard, he's preached here before, hasn't he? Do you remember what he said? He said, the gospel actually is as easy as ABC, but the problem is people are D-E-F. Think about it. We need a saviour. I need a saviour. Jesus is the saviour. Do you know what? I actually believe without a shadow of doubt he's your only hope and my only hope. 
I don't care about political correctness. I want to be faithful to the word of God. This woman, oh, she had a lot of mess ups, didn't she? Or the chapter before, this man, Nicodemus, well, he wasn't perfect either. He thought he was very moral, but, and he did a lot of good things, and a lot of people would have admired his lifestyle. But listen, they both needed Jesus. And for both of them, they met Jesus. And their lives were changed. And they were never the same again. There's all kinds of prejudices that keep us from following Jesus. All kinds of hang-ups. We think somehow that somehow we're living in this life. That uh, we've got all these things going for us. Well, I don't think really I commit my life to Jesus Christ. You know how, how duped we are by Satan to think that. You know what Jesus says? He talks about Satan. He says he's like a thief that comes in John 10 verse 10. He comes to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. But then he says, Jesus says this, I've come that you might have life. Life to the full. Abundant life. Spiritual life. It may be you're here this morning, I finished. Maybe you're here this morning and you've got physical life. Of course you have. You walked through the door this morning, but you don't really know much about spiritual life. Well, you can know it because Jesus has taken our place on the cross and, and paid the debt for your sin and mine. He's defeated death and the grave. He's made all kinds of promises in his word. The Bible, I don't doubt, is his word. And actually, I don't ever believe he'll ever break one of those promises because he's a faithful God. He's truth. And I can trust him. And he says to all of us, those who seek me, Jeremiah 29, those who seek me with all their hearts will find me. He gives new life. I don't believe there's a chance meeting. I don't believe there's an accident that you're here this morning and I'm here this morning <coughs> for this particular time. My longing is that you'll have an encounter with Jesus Christ, or for some of us who are Christians, a new encounter with Jesus Christ that will bring us into a relationship with him, or a closer relationship with him, and that will prove him, that will turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full by faith into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim, because we're going to leave them all behind one day, in the light of his glory and grace. Are you trusting him? Have you had a meeting with Jesus? Well, I pray if you haven't, you will have. And if you have, I pray that we'll have many more, really proving him in our lives, day by day, until the moment. Heaven, what a glorious thought. We haven't touched on that this morning. For those who trust him, whoever trusts me, he'll be with us now right the way through this life and then one day we shall be with him in heaven don't believe death is the end god hasn't told us that it's just beginning those who trust him and love him are going to spend eternity in heaven with him i believe that as true as i'm standing in this pulpit this morning may god underline his word to our heart let's have a prayer before we sing lord thank you for your word will you just speak to our hearts and challenge us. We thank you for this meeting that took place. We thank you that you didn't come for good people because we'd all be in a mess. But we thank you that salvation is all about people that come to you and confess their sins 
Thank you that we can be forgiven. Thank you that you promised never to bring our sins up before us again. When we stand before you one day, that won't be the subject of our conversation because our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west an immeasurable distance. Thank you that we can now live in relationship with you. Lord, do a work in each one of our lives, we pray, that will bring glory to your name and affect us as we leave this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.